Eight choices you need to make before marketing your online program. I'm Shane Sparks with uh, Greg Meeklejohn. Hi, everybody. And we're today we're going to talk about the eight key, eight key choices uh, you need to make before you launch your online programs. It really is key, Shane, uh, to really get organized before you you go off spending tons of money in this area. So uh, it'll be an interesting discussion today. Great. So what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about each of these eight choices, and we're going to discuss pros and cons on each choice. And then we'll outline uh, points of consideration as you work through these ideas and how they can apply to your school. It works for me. Awesome. So the first choice is, do you modify your approach for the online world? So, Greg, why don't you take us through some of the pros of modifying your approach for the online world? Certainly. Um, it's, it really is interesting because um, the, uh, taking, marketing a school, an online program versus a ground school program, uh, really are quite different from a, a strategic point of view. Uh, from the, the positive perspective, uh, going, taking a, a, a bricks-and-mortar school online you're no longer limited by the geography in your marketplace. Right. Uh, you have huge scale, uh, essentially North America, and uh, you can efficiently market via the Internet. Uh, you can market to time-starved people in your core market as well. In other words, uh, if there are people who would normally go to ground school but didn't have the time or the circumstances to do so, they can study online. So it gives you a competitive advantage in a way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Or you can blend ground school with online training, and uh, which is, is really quite powerful. Uh, you have uh, efficiencies in delivering the offering, and you can, you can focus uh, valuable resources uh, rather than spending all your money on advertising and marketing. Right. So there's certainly some benefits, both strategically and from a, uh, an expense uh, point of view for launching a, an online school. What are some of the counterpoints to that? What are some of the cons? Well, often uh, schools who have a bricks and mortar kind of an environment that want to go online really uh, don't look at the strategy or the positioning uh, of a, an online program. Um, some things to consider, some serious considerations uh, where if you were in a, a city, let's say, with a bricks-and-mortar school and you had two or three competitors in, say, a certificate business program, once you go online, you're now competing with potentially hundreds and hundreds of similar offerings. I mean, really, you just have to, to type into Google MBA uh, and you'll see hundreds of offerings from around the world. Your, your program can, in fact, become a commodity. And once it becomes a commodity, then you're, you're um, having to battle price and your margins start to erode over time. Also, if you're not careful, if you don't differentiate, the conversion rates are lower than with your ground school and retention rates can be difficult as well. Right. So, so you open yourself up to global competition, essentially. It's a two-sided sword. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your approach to marketing then, your program online, um, uh, there's careful consideration in that because if you just stick to doing what works regionally, geographically... You can you, get creamed. You can get creamed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how do, we, how do we address this problem? Well, the choices you make dictate your long-term success. Uh, a marketing plan that allows for rapid course correction is key. 
in the old days, in the industrial environment of marketing, you would set your path for a year and you would make your, your alterations to your marketing plan uh, annually or at the very best quarterly. But with an online program in the information age, um, the competitive environment changes so quickly, you have to be prepared to review your marketing activities and make changes almost weekly. It's a very dynamic, fast-moving environment. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So is there a strategy that we can use to sort of manage this process? Yeah, there is an excellent structure. And if the folks who are listening to this want to um, pick up a great little book, uh, check out The Path of Least Resistance by Robert Fritz. And he has designed something called Structural Tension. And um, uh, basically what you want to do is you want to identify clearly your desired end result. How many uh, intakes are you looking for in a given year on an online program, as an example? You then want to identify what is your current reality? What assets are in place that will help you get to your goal? And then the barriers, marketing-wise, that are in the way of you getting to your goal um, for your desired end result. Once you've done that, you create five key action steps. You take an action, and then you review the action almost immediately and make adjustments. Just like if you were course correcting when you're driving your car, or the way an airplane constantly is course correcting as it travels from one destination to another. Right. Can we maybe talk about a specific example in how this uh, process could be used by a school? Certainly. Um, what comes to mind... Uh, Online ads. Ads are used through, say, Google AdWords, um, and you could be running an ad that is creating a certain result for you, and it makes tremendous sense to, to go and uh, write a second ad and run that ad in what we call in marketing split-run testing. And you basically have a little race between the, the two ads to see which one does the best. And, uh, and then the weakest ad, you drop it, and the new ad becomes a control. Then you create a third ad, and you review that one. And you actually review these ads for your online offerings week to week. And you do that for six weeks in a row, six different renditions. And what you find at the end, there's that last man standing kind of thing, that ad, that one ad that seems to consistently work. And that, that is the ad that you, you run with. And what you'll find is you can actually increase your uh, conversion rate significantly by just making that one simple Course correction. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So with that example, if we applied it to the structural tension, our end result would be uh, an improvement in the ad result that we're getting from that Google ad. Our current reality would be the current result we're getting. And the split-run testing process, the testing one ad against the other ad, is the uh, action step. And out of that comes the review point and the improvement, and that's how we move from where we are to where we want to be. Exactly. Here's another uh, small example, Shane, is um, when you're working with an online program, your highest and best use of your sales process is on the phone. Rarely can you get somebody who's inquiring about an online program to come in for an actual school tour. So you really need to de develop and hone your phone skills. And the best way to do that is to take an action to review the success of the action and make an adjustment. So just by simply analyzing the effectiveness of 
your voicemails that you're leaving for people to call you back and, and monitoring that and through trial and error making rapid adjustments, you'll find that you can, for instance, uh, increase your conversion from lead to live lead or sales call by 10-15% simply by making those little adjustments and testing the voicemails that your salespeople leave your prospects. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to choice number two, how to differentiate. Maybe the place to start with this choice is really what is differentiation? Uh, it is a bit of an esoteric term, but it really can make or break the success of your school. Um, it's, it's known as building a niche. Um, the French call it creveau building, uh, or it's otherwise known as positioning. How to position your school in relation to your competitors, essentially. So a, a differentiation strategy is essentially where a business decides to focus its efforts so it can create a closer relationship with a fewer number of people. So it's concentrating one's efforts. A, a market segment is a group of people that share similar buying patterns or characteristics, uh, or a demographic group such as young men, or um, or a group that share uh, preferences. I see. So, so positioning is is um, tailoring your program or seeking out a specific market market segment or type of buyer. Yes, correct. When people are competing for a consumer's dollar, what um, people don't realize is if you lose the business and you were say the second choice of uh, a consumer, how maddeningly close you are to actually having won that business. You, um, those who are, say, the second choice of somebody going to school uh, may have been uh, missing the mark by maybe only 2%. And that 2 or 3% difference can be closed up really rapidly by simply saying that uh, you have a specialty in this area or a specialty in serving this kind of a group. And by dedicating to being a specialist, you can always, always beat a generalist when you have the same offering or skill set. Right. I, I love one of your sayings, which is there's no silver medals in marketing. There are no silver medals. Uh, you look at all the great uh, gold medal winners in the Olympics, and uh, you look at those that have come in second place, say, for instance, in the 100-meter sprint or uh, in swimming races. The people who come in second place, often they, they lose by one one-hundredth of a second. And often they break world records in that same race as the winners. Yet, who came in second in the Olympics? People know Ian Thorpe, the Thorpedo, or people know about famous sprinters, but they don't know who came in second. So and that's right. And then, in, and with the education business, it's not like that sale is split between first, second, and third. The winner gets all the money. Your second place, even if you're second place by one percent. Exactly. You can have a really good offering and become uh, consistently in second place and go out of business. Whereas the, um, the school that's, say, in fourth place, they are perceived to be a favorite uh, maybe one out of ten times, and uh, they will thrive. So it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic, no doubt. It is. Well, let's talk about how do you differentiate yourself then? What are maybe some pros and cons of working through a differentiation process? Well, the pros of, of differentiating yourself within a marketplace 
in competing with competitors, you can create a specialty program that will set you apart as a preferred supplier within a specified market segment. Now, the key is you want to be perceived by a group of people who talk amongst themselves as being a preferred supplier. Just as we're a preferred supplier in the uh, education field in North America for strategic marketing. Uh, you can gain, as a result of, of being viewed as the preferred supplier, you can gain disproportionate market share within your, your chosen segment that you're going after. Now, the cons, you cannot sell to everybody uh, when you choose a differentiation strategy. Right, and this is a key uh, thing that a lot of uh, school administrators have a hard time getting their head around. Exactly. It's, it's the, uh, the, uh, the rule of want. Um, when you specialize, you have to sacrifice other market segments. Uh, an example comes to mind is the University of Phoenix. They're the largest uh, for-profit private institution in the world. And um, they, their sales are in the billions. And they decided in the late 70s to differentiate and to only focus on working with uh, working adults in their 30s and their 40s. Now, at that time, nobody was really serving that niche, and the traditional universities thought they were just crazy. Uh, it was kind of a, um, a slough market that nobody was really interested in, yet the University of Phoenix now, I believe, are the, the second largest accredited university in the world. And that, that adult learner market is a huge growing field that, you know, that uh, Phoenix dominates. Yes. Now, of course, a lot of other people have entered the field and uh, they start to compete for, for market share. But because the University of Phoenix, uh, they were the first player in the market, they own easily half the market in right. that area. And it just happens to be a huge market now. So the, the, challenge for the challenge for the marketer when you're considering differentiation is to accept that by focusing on a specific market, you're sacrificing uh, ancillary markets. The law of sacrifice. Now, um, to maybe to wrap this up, let's go through just some considerations when you're uh, working on differentiation. Certainly. Okay. Um, you want to consider differentiating a, a program offering if there are f several criteria in place. Mm -hmm. If you're having trouble meeting your core financial targets, you want to consider differentiation. It could be a sign that um, you're constantly coming in second place. And second place, there are no silver medals in marketing. Um, you want to consider differentiation if there are more than six players competing within a target segment and you are number four, number five, or number six. Because you not only have to battle for the... Um, the attention of the, the prospective consumer, but you also have to battle through all the competing offers of these companies that have been there before you, that have had a chance to build up goodwill and, and through their sales team. So you either have to battle that uphill grind and overcome those big dominant competitors or fracture the market, is what we call it, and create a new area of specialty, just like University of Phoenix did 30 years ago. You want to um, um, break off and start a new niche if, if your present segment does not carry enough gross volume to support all the, the competing schools. So if there's not enough of a pie for everyone to succeed on, you want to split off and find a new niche. And so essentially, if those criteria are in place, you want to be starting to study different ways to set yourself apart 
Great. Now, the third choice is how to differentiate by focusing on one vertical market. Yeah, that's right. I, um, Shane, a broad-based or what we call a vanilla course offering may sell in one community um, with a few competitors, a small number of competitors. However, a vanilla program sold through the Internet to North America will end up competing with hundreds and hundreds of similar offerings. So a career school program it really is a means to an ends for learners. It really is all about having a better career for whoever is taking your program. And if, if people can't really get a handle on how their career will improve, if there's no juice or no bite to uh, that program offering, uh, really um, enrollment will languish. So can we give an example of that? Maybe um, uh, like an administration program or a marketing certificate program. How do you turn that vanilla program into an a industry-specific or an industry-niched program? Well, we feel the best way to do this is um, by differentiating with specialty industries, what we call um, vertical markets. So... A good example would be that administration program that you spoke of where we um, would take that general administration program and, um, say, specialize in the agriculture industry. So uh, say you had a, uh, a school that was based in the Midwest, but you were offering it North American wide, and you had access in your backyard to a lot of talent in the agriculture industry, the agribusiness. Well, you, you add in a couple of courses um, agriculture jargon, the culture of doing business inside the agriculture industry, and you tack that on to this vanilla administration course. Now, going back to that previous analogy where you just need razor-thin margins to win in a competition for the, that student's dollar, uh, often by just specializing in the agriculture business, uh, all those people who have a predisposition, who have grown up on a farm, whose husband works in trucking in the Midwest, who uh, have experience working with major corporations that service the farm industry, those people will view this program as a preferred supply. Now, what makes it really interesting, the top 100 uh, corporate employers in the agriculture business in North America will also view this program as a preferred source for new labor to supply their offices with. So you win in two areas. People who have a predisposition, who have grown up in a farming environment, and the employers who will end up hiring those students upon graduation. So you create a little bit of electricity in, in terms of your offering. Now, it, it really is cool in terms of the dynamics you can create as a preferred supplier. Well, it's interesting because when you look at the uh, the MBA programs, they're really pioneers in this area. MBAs were one of the first to combine online and, and bricks-and-mortar study. And so now you see a lot of MBA programs that have specializations, human resources, uh, Pacific Rim studies, you know, marketing specialties. And they've taken their vanilla MBA programs and attached a bit of a specialization to speak to that specific market segment. Yeah, here's another example. What if you were to take your, your vanilla computer program, teach people about uh, uh, federal government programs 
federal government jargon and how to do business with the U.S. federal government and create a, uh, a network com- uh, computer program, certificate program, with a specialty in government services. Mm, great idea. So now the, uh, the graduate goes tootling off to the government and they're competing with a bunch of other folks who have their computer network uh, programs. Um, they're equally skilled. However, this person's been trained in how to do business in government and what some of the terminology means and how the bureaucracy works. Who's going to get hired if everybody has basically an equal skill set? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So why don't we run through some of the pros and cons of this industry differentiation strategy? You betcha. Um, preferred suppliers uh, in the eyes of your market, and you have a competitive advantage when you're selling. So that's a definite pro. You can tap into new groups to sell to. So you can skill build for existing underemployed workers. And this is really interesting. Over time, large employers can start referring candidates to your school to work for you to do training and upgrading. So just to to, uh, round that thought out a little bit, for every person they hire, they get one or 200 applicants who uh, may have a good attitude, but they lack skill. Uh, And rather than just letting those resumes rot in an HR department, if you create a really good connection with that large employer, you may see some opportunities where you get some referrals coming back from the HR departments of the people who are hiring the graduates. So it's important to remember, the school is not the end of the line for the student. Your school is simply a conduit to take students from where they are to a better better career and a better life. And your school is only as strong as the employers who hire your graduates. That's a very important concept. So the, the other pro then is industry differentiation um, in a much more substantial way connects you with those employer groups. Exactly. And if the employers perceive your school as a winner, uh, you're going to catch referrals. And when your prospective students start doing some research out in the field about which schools are perceived to have the best reputation, you will create an automatic inherent advantage in winning their dollars. Yeah, of course. Now, there must be some cons. Well, yeah, there, there are some flaws for sure, and there are things you need to be wary of, wary of and you need to manage. For instance, if you commit a program, for instance, to the agriculture business, and the industry goes weak, uh, this will adversely affect the prospects of your graduates. So if you have an administration program, for instance, uh, what might be an interesting idea would be to combine in with several verticals. So you could, for instance, have an administration program with a specialty in the movie production industry, in the technology industry, in logistics and distribution, in manufacturing, in dirt industry, uh, in the agribusiness. So what you're essentially doing for your learners and for your school, you're, you're hedging uh, by betting on different industries. Right. The other thing is uh, you need to market to the employer pool as well as the students. Now, schools that are a little bit lazy um, don't really like to do this because it's a bit of work. It's a bit of a PR hassle. But when you're, you're selling an online program, it is absolutely crucial to lock up the 100 most influential relationships from industry, from that employer pool. And... Um, you need to put into your marketing plan uh, 
employer relations. And what I mean by employer relations, the stakeholders who influence and hire your graduates. If they're not on board, your program will languish over time. So you, you, you need a two-pronged approach, both the students and the employers, and it adds an element of uh, work. Exactly. But on the positive side is if you win over those 100 largest uh, um, schools, you've essentially branded your school uh, for great effect. Let's move on to choice number four. Should you use benefit language when, cr- when creating ads? So what, is, what do you mean by benefit language? Well, for those listening right now, I'd like you to go back and look at your brochures and look at your websites and ask yourself this question. The language that you're using to sell your school and your programming, is it all about you, the features that you offer, uh, or is it all about the buyer's self-interest? So most schools, well, what we've come to learn over time, when they're, um, uh, they're talking about the benefits of their school, they talk in a logical pr- progression. They talk about the feature of their school. For instance, they have smaller class sizes. Then they talk about the advantage of that feature. They may touch on the benefit. And they rely on the prospective uh, student to figure out their own self-interest on their own. Now, this really translates into the prospect having to work really, really hard to go to school and buy something from you. And really, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, this is really, consumers are really inherently selfish and they really want to know what's in it for them. And uh, they really don't care about your features of your school. They want to know how your school will benefit them and um, increase the quality of their life. So, so another way to say that is that... Um when you speak to just features, that's self-centered language. That's self-centered communication. It's about your institution and what you're going to do and blah, blah, blah. Consumers need you to translate that into how it helps them, how you're going to help them achieve what they want, how your school can help them benefit in some way. Exactly. Uh, feature language is the, the language of the selfish and benefit language is the language of the generous. And you, you just have to remember that um, consumers are really inherently, all they care about is what's in it for them initially. And you have such a small window of time to, to turn people onto your school, you really need to speak to their self-interests before you talk about how wonderful you are. Now, It's empathy, actually. Yes, yeah. good. that's a good way to think about it. Why don't you tell us there's a good process, the FAB process, as a discipline to uh, translate these features into benefit, that good emotional language. Why don't you um, explain this process that's quite easy to use? Sure. Um, We use this process when we're writing uh, ad copy and uh, helping build up uh, language for sales folk and uh, building up website and brochure language. So basically what you do is this. Write down one feature of your school, say, small class size. Then underneath that, you write down the word advantage. What is the advantage of that feature, small class size? Then you ask yourself, what is the benefit to the student if they experience the advantage? And then you you try to imagine through empathy, once the student experiences that benefit, 
how will they feel? Then what you do is you flip it upside down and you communicate by feeling, then benefit, then advantage, and then finally the feature. So let me take a crack at this, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so... Um, small class size. Small class size. So tell me, Shane, what is the advantage of a small class size? Well, with a small class size, you... Um uh, you have more opportunity. You have more time with the instructor. Excellent. Now, imagine if you will, uh, there's a student that spent a year at a career school, and they've constantly had that higher level of interaction with the instruct- instructor. Um, what is the benefit for them having had that experience? Well, they're going to have a deeper understanding of their area of study, and they're going to have had more time to really um, gain the skills that are going to help them with oh, an employer. Right, so they'll be more job-ready, perhaps. Yes, that's right. They'll be more job-ready. Now, when they graduate and go into the workforce, having had that experience, how will they feel? They'll feel confident. Okay. So really, small class size is all about feeling confident upon graduation. Ah, yes. So our grads feel really confident when they graduate from our program uh, this is because they get a, a high-quality, intensive interaction with their instructors. And, of course, this is because we pride ourselves in having smaller class sizes. I see. So what sounds better? Small class sizes or confidence and uh, interaction with the instructor? Interesting. Yes. So fab, feature, advantage, benefit. Take your features and translate them into benefits. And that is how to, uh, that's a choice you can make to improve your communication and your advertising on your website, your printed material if you have it. Use them everywhere. Now, I do believe that we have a, um, uh, an exercise that comes with this, this uh, mini course uh, that we're presenting now that people can go away and, and, uh, and build out some good fab language. Uh, inside the course. Great. Let's move on to choice five. Should you dedicate your website and media strictly to lead generation? Well, that's interesting. You and I have had some uh, really interesting debates and uh, over the last uh, number of years, and you've de- definitely turned my thinking uh, on to the need to, uh, to use your website and your media strictly for lead generation and build your awareness levels and your branding through public relations. But let's be fair about it. We'll we'll just go through the pros and the cons of using media and websites strictly for lead generation. So the the cons, you you should not use uh, media for lead generation because how will people learn about me in general? And what about this branding stuff that the agencies and the the media reps ramble about? And... um, Shouldn't I be doing awareness ads? Um, this is a, a there's a, a counterweight in the industry where people make a lot of money convincing schools to spend money on awareness campaigns. Now, the pros concerning lead generation from where we sit are as follows: uh, relationships and trust are built once the prospect is communicating with an admissions rep or or a recruiter. That is where the re- the trust is built and the relationships are built. The purpose of advertising and websites is simply to get people to pick up the phone or send an email so then they can begin to engage in that trust-building process. Once you understand the limited role of advertising and media, then you can focus at what it does best. You don't use a racehorse 
to pull up a stump. You use a, a big Clydesdale. And so you don't want to be using media for the wrong, the wrong function. So any other activity other than getting the phone to ring is a distraction and a waste of money for your school. Well, there's one stat I loved, and I, uh, I'll share it with you. Uh, there was a, a study recently of um, 20 of the largest advertisers in the U.S. And these are each companies that were spending minimum $100 million a year in advertising to build their brand. And the study measured um, how many people could connect the slogan with the company. Of the 20 advertisers, only three uh, could had their slogan connected to their company by more than 10% of the population. And, and how much were they spending a year? $100 million minimum. That was the criteria for the study. On media advertising. Six of the 20 rated zero. And when one of the ad agency people were confronted with this, the response was, um, well, it takes time to build brand awareness. We've only spent, we've only had a couple of years to do it. Well, the interesting analogy is uh, building a brand campaign with a, uh, uh, is actually a lot of fun. Shane, you're an award-winning advertising guy, from, uh, reformed advertising guy from years past, and, and uh, you've told me on a number of occasions it's easy to build a, brand, a branding campaign or a creative awareness campaign. Building a direct response campaign is hard, nasty work because you're constantly testing uh, the different ads that you're using, and you're constantly gaining feedback on how you're working or it's not working. Therefore, it's a very accountable process. Yeah, th there's really nowhere to hide. When you, when you take the point of view that your ad or your website has to generate a lead, and you measure that, there's nowhere to hide if it's not performing. So direct response is, is uncomfortable work. However, direct response is what will drive your business. That's right. So we can why don't we talk about some strategies or some ways to um, create a more uh, a website or an ad that's going to generate more leads? You bet. Um, the first thing you really want to wrap your head around is that your web and your advertising media and your internet leads should really be considered a giant, multifaceted direct response ad. Um, the second thing you really want to remember is is you want to get back into that empathetic mode. And you want to understand for yourself um, why people are calling off of these ads. Keep in mind that when somebody calls off of a print ad or fills out a, an email form, it is a very tenuous uh, exercise. And for those that think that somebody will buy off of such a small um, point of promotion, it's kind of an arrogant attitude. And what we advocate is to create a small little tiny sale that people can jump on a small call to action which has minimal risk which will start that process of picking up the phone or sending that email in and generally we advocate a free report or a, a career starter kit that people can sign up for or call in for which will start people exploring the opportunities of a new career yes and that's that's a great idea the thing you have to remember is psychologically uh, sales being a, in a sales interaction is very stressful. And for most people, they avoid it whenever possible. There's a reason car salesmen have such a bad reputation because people inherently uh, try to avoid those situations. So when you make 
your call to action and your advertising or website some small incremental step versus call us and talk to our uh, salesperson right now. You, you give them more confidence and more ability to take that next step forward. By applying uh, them with good information. That's right. Okay. You don't want to link your site to other websites. You, you want to link your site from others to you, but you don't want to go the other way back because you want to keep your website as the focal point. Now, that doesn't sound terribly reciprocal. Um, however, business dictates that you want to have your website just strictly for you. Well, that's right. And for um, most schools, what we see is there's way too much content. There's just way too much on there. And it, if you answer too many questions for a prospect, you don't give them a reason to contact you. Yeah, I believe they call that a getaway package. That's right. Uh, the final thought starter is to... Uh, Brand your business not using media advertising or the internet, but brand your business using public relations. And if you have a, a, a limited budget, focus on branding your school with the 100 largest employers of your graduates. So if you have an online program that is uh, in the, um, the movie production industry, as an example, uh, uh, that's the, where most of your graduates are, are leaving to go to work, then make sure that those 100 huge employers and trade associations think that your school is fantastic. That's where you want to do your branding. Branding is an insurance policy for a consumer. And you uh, focus on the employers of your graduates that can control a disproportionate number of those hires. It will hold you in, in very good stead. And you can do so for pennies on the dollar compared to trying to brand your school using traditional media advertising. Choice number six. Should you have the courage to give away a taste of your school's curriculum? So th this choice might cause some controversy. Yeah, the really all we have to give away when we're selling a program is our expertise. We've accumulated curriculum, and it's delivered in a certain way uh, through a faculty member, and through this artful combination, uh, students learn and then they graduate to a better career. So that's all you really have to sell. And why on earth should, uh, should you go and uh, uh, give that away? Well, here, here are some thoughts on that. Um, you're, you're really, you're asking a learner to suspend their life for a year or two and, and have them invest large dollars in your school. So you want to give them a test drive. You want to let them audit a class. You want to let prospects meet industry employers. You want to share a little bit of your expertise over time to build confidence for that student so when they commit to your school, they're doing so with both feet in. You want to offer time-limited access to your resource material. Give them a little taste of what they're going to learn. And the byproduct of that is it rapidly builds consumer conf confidence. There's an old analogy that givers get. Uh, what goes around comes around. And when you can take a little slice of what you have to offer students over a year and have the courage to share with them a little bit of the, your value that you're going to offer over the course of time, that repetition creates greater familiarity, which creates trust. And you have the opportunity, of course, to, to sell students six months, one year, a year and a half down the road. 
And right there is a, a huge opportunity to sell students. Most, most schools give up after about two or three weeks if an inquiry doesn't pan out. We advocate uh, two years, selling to a prospect for two years. You can only do that by touching them about once a month. And if you're constantly sending them some promotional buy-from-me kind of language once a month, they're very quickly going to become sick and tired of you. So the only way you can legitimately build a relationship over the course of a couple of years by sending them something once a month is to give them something of value. The best thing you can give them is your expertise. Well, that's a great point. If, if you study any, any sales um, program, any industry that's sales-driven, the, the test driver experiencing the product prior to purchase is a key strategy. In packaging, in recent years, uh, in packaging of kids' toys, they've designed the packaging to allow the kids to touch and hear and feel the product because they found that when people interact with something they want to buy, they're more likely to buy it. Yeah, and, and this really is interesting because in the career school industry, particularly with uh, on the online side, uh, if you're if you're converting ten percent of your inquiries, you're doing very very well. And what's really interesting is like the, that analogy with the Olympic athletes, most folks who do not buy within the first three or four weeks are actually very close to purchasing. They, they usually have some external factor or a, a spouse giving them a bit of grief or a, a bit of a money issue or a logistics issue that prevents them from purchasing. And, and over the course of a year, often that can be removed. Now, What's really interesting is you stack in another fact over top of that, and that is that typically in advertising, top-of-mind awareness disappears after about a month. So you just continually touch people once a month with something valuable, and usually it can be done very efficiently and inexpensively through technology. Well, a good, a good point to bring up right now is uh, we recently did a survey of uh, spent prospects for a, a school. So these are the people that didn't buy. And of the survey respondents, we had we did a survey to about 5,000 cold dead leads. You know, they're six months uh, gone and older. Of the respondents, 82% still hadn't purchased education. 82% were still considering uh, going to that program. And of that 82%, 70% wanted to be contacted by the school. And so what that speaks to is that your, your cold list, those 9 out of 10 prospects that didn't purchase from you, that didn't attend school, it's not that they don't want to go to school, it's that the timing wasn't right, the, you know, there was some external condition that was keeping them from attending. So the, a couple of uh, quick tactics that you can use to stay in touch with folks you can um, use what are called autoresponders to email folks automatically once a month and continually reinforce um, the career opportunities they have that are on the other side of graduation. The second thing you can do is you can offer uh, conference calls, people to jump into conference calls, to listen to not the teachers, not the salespeople, but the employers of the graduates and the graduates themselves. 
uh, talk about what how wonderful the industry is. And through that repetitive interaction, uh, you actually inspire and motivate these prospects to take the jump and jump into the program. Okay, we're, we're getting close to uh, um, the end of the course. We're going to move on to choice seven. Should you lavish high-touch communication on your students to augment online course delivery? So, uh, Shane, this is a, a question about retention. And when you have an online program, you run a greater risk of uh, losing students through the course of the, of the certificate program because they, they lack uh, that interaction. There's more isolation. So the reason you don't want to put high-touch in with your high-tech online program is it adds in a layer of expense. So those that are, are uh, watching their margins, it, it, it's just an extra layer. It's an extra cost. And it, it has the potential to diminish uh, scalability. And I guess what I mean by scalability is if you have a pure online self-study program, you can technically sell that program all over the world. But if you're offering events and conference calls and ways to touch people and interact with people, in theory, that cuts out certain chunks of the geographic population. Or it reduces your um, scale because you need to have a conference line that's going to accommodate enough people in your program. Exactly. Now, on the flip side, there are, are several pros to this. And that is, by interacting with people on a regular basis through conference call or inviting them to regional locations to congregate and to share ideas about the program they're taking. This creates uh, repetition. And repetition creates familiarity. And the byproduct of familiarity is a greater level of trust. And from trust, become you create greater motivation to complete what you started. So High Touch also has an entertainment value. And Shane, you're a big fan of... Uh, when we do our boot camps of really reinforcing that entertaining uh, uh, entertainment value in education uh, creates a much higher uh, retention level and value for the student. Sure. Bored people can't learn. Yeah. Laughter creates learning. Laughter creates learning. So it creates better retention. And through better retention, you create better motivation, which keep your students in school. Well, and it also better retention also creates... um uh, more referrals. Students that are having a, um, a, a, a rounder experience with your school are more likely to refer other students to your school. Exactly. And um, it, essentially, the, the, the last real advantage to having a high-touch communication system while you're offering your online program is it, it creates a system that will flag issues before a student gives up and bolts on your program. You can catch, nip some things in the bud by just giving the student the opportunity to interact or complain or ask some hard questions. It's a great flag to go in and address some issues before they become a, a serious problem. Why don't we talk about some ways to add some high touch to your online program? Okay, excellent. Um, I would create a, a coaching support structure for students and not only help coach them through the courses they're taking, but start to groom them and prepare them for the industry that they're entering. Uh, you can use real-time online classrooms on occasion for webinars, virtual classrooms. Shane, you've had some experience with that, I know. Yeah. 
It's the, the, the webinars and the online classrooms are a fantastic way for people from all over geographically to connect and talk with each other and share uh, experiences and questions and, and just bring a human element into the online learning. Exactly. And, and along those lines, you can couple that online classroom with conference calls. So they're running simultaneously. Yep. And you can, uh, on the, I would even do them weekly. And uh, invite all your learners to jump on and, and do a Q&A session on content and then bring in somebody from industry in um, to give that motivational finish your education kind of talk and to answer questions about the industry that the learners are going to be entering into. And what it does is it re-motivates the learners to keep on going and to finish that education. The other thing I would do is I would hire... Uh, uh, a young lady, for instance, just out of college, to actually um, four or five times a year phone the learners and leave a voicemail message, a heartfelt message saying, we're just phoning to make sure everything is okay. We care about your success. We want you onto those online uh, programs and we want you onto our uh, our conference calls uh, and we want to connect with you. So any questions, feel free to call me. It's just that little caring, empathetic touch a few times a year that, again, will help maintain that, uh, that motivation to finish school. Awesome. Final, the final choice, choice number eight. Should you use testimonials or facts to promote your program? Facts are great to convey information. Um, and, and information is really important after you've established interest. Uh, facts also speak to the school's self-interest, and to a degree, their credibility. Testimonials, however, they convey credibility and trust. And testimonials are to be used liberally to generate interest. Testimonials speak to the learner's self-interest. Now, it's interesting to me that most schools do it backwards. At that first point of contact, which is the website, we feel that that, um, that website should be loaded up full of testimonials and success stories pertaining to the programs. Yet most of the websites we see, in addition to not having a phone number on the website, are, are basically all filled up with course details and pricing. How can somebody judge the value of uh, course details and pricing if they don't really understand the opportunity at hand uh, in going to school? When you're selling a considered intangible, uh, a big-ticket intangible, which is what education is, testimonials are the currency which gives that offering credibility. So really the, the testimonials and the stories, those are what speak to the heart of your prospect. Facts rationalize what the heart feels in the head. So it's speak to the heart first, then the head. Exactly. If you can't develop that, that passion and that empathy and that heartfelt interest in your program first, the facts have little or no value in the mind of the prospective learner. So... And so if we apply this to the, to the idea that your website or your advertising is about generating a lead, then we realize that the, the stories, the testimonials, that emotional stuff, that's what's going to generate the inquiry. Once you've received the inquiry and one of your um, admissions advisors is able to talk with your prospect, that's when you substantiate it with the facts and the details and all the the small specific things. Exactly.
So some ideas around testimonials. Uh, use them liberally in, in, in your websites, as mentioned just previously here. Uh, it's really important when you give a testimonial to use a first and a last name to generate credibility. There's nothing worse than um, Sam S., uh, because people know it's just not it's true. phony. Yeah. Well, and a, a note on that, with uh, testimonials, uh, with testimonials, people are really looking for themselves in the testimonial. So the more information about the person giving it you can provide, really the better. Full name, maybe the city they came from, or the previous occupation they had, or, you know, homemaker, or whatever, because as a consumer, we're looking for clues to your credibility. And this is particularly important when you're selling something via the internet that you're fulfilling on via the internet. You need to create that heartfelt connection uh, with real people. Again, it's a way to augment that high touch. Well, that's right. And that's a great point. The internet is a very, uh, is the least credible medium. Because just it's just so it's, it's just so uh, it's one dimensional. It's one dimensional. It's the wild west, exactly. and so anything to create more credibility helps you in that environment. It's a way to build a tapestry for your your marketplace. You have a great idea of, of a, another way you can use testimonials. Why just deliver testimonials on your website? Why not uh, tape record testimonials and uh, use them from an audio perspective? People. They learn in different ways. Some people are visual. Some people are uh, listen through, uh, learn better by listening, and, and others uh, are tactile, or they learn better through um, feeling or touching. So, by tape recording testimonials, it's just another way to connect with people. And we also advocate using testimonials in a phone sale. Uh, when you're selling an online program, you can actually um, have the salesperson play some three to five minute testimonials for the prospect while uh, they're on the phone during the sales call. It's, it's like importing a second salesperson into the sales call. And, and it really helps with conversion rates. Awesome. Okay, let's just quickly go through, let's go through our eight choices. Choice number one is, uh, do you modify your approach for the online world or you just try to apply the same methodology you use in your bricks and mortar school it's very important with online learning to be very clear about where you're heading to understand what your barriers are and when you're making your action steps in your marketing to make rapid course corrections choice two do you differentiate we feel you should differentiate to separate yourself com from competitors because when you're you're um, competing against hundreds of people it's more important than ever to be seen by those in the marketplace as the preferred Supplier. Choice number three is do you differentiate with an industry focus? Career schools need to get away from the fact that they are the center of the universe. A career school is merely a vehicle to helping a person get a better job. And a career school is only as strong as the employers who hire the grads. Choice number four. Do you use benefit language in the advertising and the in your websites and the different ways you communicate? Benefit language is the language of the buyer. Feature language is the language of the school. When you're marketing, you have a very small period of time to, to create a, a, a relationship, a new relationship. So you have to speak to the self-interest of the buyer. Choice number five. 
do you use your web and your advertising to create a brand or do you focus just on direct response on gaining that lead? Uh, if you use direct response advertising uh, uh, copy in your ads versus awareness um, type of copy in your ads, it will add about uh, 10% to your margins on your school or about 50% to your net profit before tax. Do the numbers. Choice number six, do you give away some of your curriculum? Do you give a taste of your programs? Giving away uh, little pieces of your expertise will, will earn you the right to touch people once a month, which will in turn earn you the right to sell to somebody for up to two years. And you'd be amazed at the number of people who will purchase from you three months, nine months, a year and a half after they first call, uh, called you off of an ad. Choice number seven, do you have the guts to use a high-touch approach in combination with your high-tech delivery? Don't let your techies rule your online program. Love your market, love your customers, use your voice modulation, use all the tools you can that can make it a live and interactive process. Take all that money you've saved on your direct response marketing campaign, that 10%, and reinvest that into nurturing people via the phone. And finally, choice number eight, do you use testimonials liberally in all your uh, communications? Testimonials are third-party blessed. When a third party uh, uh, speaks highly of you, it has tremendous credibility. Thank you very much, Greg. This has been the eight choices you need to make before marketing your online program. Please Go through the articles and the exercises that accompany this course, and good luck in proving the results in your programs. Shane, I'd just like to say uh, that um, really this um, a great example of, of what we speak of today are our, our, uh, our colleagues at Comcourse. Uh, and Comcourse, they, uh, they really take the, uh, the whole notion of partnering with schools, and they walk their talk, and as a result, uh, have a tremendous um, affinity with the marketplace. And uh, really, in all of these, these eight pro processes that we speak of, really Comcourse speaks to all eight of those. And so uh, good luck to you in, uh, in your online journey uh, and uh, with your, your new partnership with Comcourse. Great. This has been Shane Sparks and Greg Meeklejohn from EnrollmentResources.com. Have a great day, everybody. Bye now.